First Kings chapter 11, 1 through 13. The heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. First Kings 11, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy and infallible word. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which Yahweh the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart after their gods. Solomon clung or cleaved to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Asherah and the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom and the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord Yahweh, and did not wholly follow the Lord Yahweh as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem, that is the Mount of Olives. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. And the Lord Yahweh was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord Yahweh commanded. Therefore the Lord Yahweh said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant." Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. Thus far the reading of God's infallible word. May he add his eternal blessing to it. Let us seek the Father's face in the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. Our triune God, the God who is the reward of his people, the God who is the fear of Isaac, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before your presence as your children adopted in the beloved Son, crying, Abba, Father, come and feed us this day. Come and bless the word that I have read. Bless the word of my mouth and the meditation of our heart. Oh, Father, that you would give me a heart that is broken and contrite, a humble heart to preach your word, to preach it in truth and in power according to your spirit. Oh, bless us, we pray, with ears to hear and eyes to see the great and wonderful things in our Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom Solomon was to be the type, but who failed miserably in the end of his life. May we learn from his example 
We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved, is there a more enigmatic professing believer in the Word of God than King Solomon? I have scratched my head a many a day and night as I have thought about the life of King Solomon. From the height of greatness as the Davidic heir to a man given over to idolatry, even to the building of altars to pagan gods, to mites who would sacrifice and require the sacrifice of one's children to propitiate, to appease, to atone that they might receive blessing. Solomon was the wisest of the wise. The man who was invited by God to ask in chapter 3, verse 5, for whatever he desired. And he asked not for riches, but for wisdom. And he asked for understanding, not that he might serve himself, but that he might serve the commonwealth of Israel. He might serve the, the good of the people, govern them with grace. And God granted both riches and honor. No other king, the Lord Yahweh said to Solomon, will be like you. No other king in all the earth. Everything he touched turned to gold. He had a a Midas touch, if you will. Everything he did prospered. We're even told in chapter 3 that even the gold, even the silver was so vast in the kingdom of God, Israel, it were as stones. They were as stones, as, as pebbles. They were everywhere. The vastness of his riches, the greatness of his splendor. He was the builder of the temple. Diplomats would come from all over the known world to learn of his wisdom. We're told in chapter 10 that the queen of Sheba would come into his presence and she left breathless. He took her breath away because of the immensity and the greatness and the splendor of his wisdom and his knowledge. He was a scientist, a poet, a scholar, a theologian. No king could match him. And that's nothing to say of his godliness in his youth. If you go back and you read 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 22 to 53, you read this, this masterful prayer of a man whose theology is biblical, whose God is big and massive, immense in splendor and glory. He's even given the name Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord. This man sat upon the pinnacle of greatness. Humanly speaking, if we would have seen his kingdom, we would have surely said, he has it all, Solomon. He could never fall away. He could never fall into heinous and wicked sin. Anybody but Solomon. Anybody but Solomon. But 1 Kings 11 tells us otherwise. You see, saints, if it can happen to Solomon, it can happen to anyone. For when he was old, he gave his heart to other lovers. 1 Corinthians, rather, chapter 10, verse 12. Let anyone who thinks that they stand take heed lest they fall. 
You see, Solomon forgot Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with, with all diligence, for out of it flow the wellsprings of life. You see, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, and Solomon's life reminds us that choosing to follow Jesus Christ and his wisdom is not just a one-time event. It's not something we just do on one particular Sunday or around a campfire, summer's best two weeks, or at Ridgehaven. No, it's, it's something we choose to do every day as we, we take up our cross in the power of the gospel, in the power of the cross itself, we take it up. That cross that's been particularly made for us in our lives, in our own sanctification, that we might be conformed, we might be heavenized. I love that, Red. That we might be heavenized. We might take on the very image of God himself that we've been given a cross, tailor-made for each one of us. We might learn to die to self and the kingdom of self and live to the glory of Jesus and the joy of the Father. You see, Solomon's life reminds us that choosing to follow Jesus is played out each and every day of our lives. Proverbs 3, 21 to 23, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. They will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk securely and your foot will not stumble. Well, there are five characteristics that I want to look at this morning as we, we think about it. We put the life of Solomon, as it were, under the microscope. Five characteristics that characterize his downfall. How did this happen? Surely it didn't happen in a vacuum. He didn't just wake up one day and say, you know, I'm, I've had, yeah, wait, it was, it was a good run. I'm going to lay that down now and follow my own desires. How did he come to the place? How did he go from the, from the pinnacle of being the wisest man in all the land whom diplomats from all over the world would come and would leave breathless to this place where he, he's building idols and altars to false gods? Romans 15.4 reminds us that whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You see, that, that Solomon, through his bad example, might be an example for us what not to do. You see, friends, it's vitally important in our day when many are walking away from the faith, right? Every poll I hear about, about the vastness, the, the immensity, the, the, the volumes of people walking away from the faith all around us, committing apostasy, it's vital that we understand the nature of Solomon's downfall lest we repeat it. Proverbs 19:27 Cease to hear instruction my son and you will stray from the words of knowledge. If you cut your ears off you will stray from the words of knowledge. So first, what is the the first characteristic of Solomon's downfall. First, it was predictable. It was predictable. If we know anything about the book of 1 Kings, 
particularly the early chapters, some of which I've already alluded to this morning, Solomon's downfall is not as shocking as it might first appear just upon the the prima facie reading of chapter 11, right? If we read it in isolation with the first 10 chapters, we might think, well, how? I don't understand. I I thought you believed in the perseverance of the saints. I, I thought he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it to the very end. But we're told in chapter 3, for instance, that Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, taking his daughter for his wife. Now, Solomon knew the law of God. It was a violation of Deuteronomy 7.3. When you come into the land of Canaan, you shall not intermarry with them, for they will turn your heart from following me to serve other gods. That's just as true today as it was when it was first written, kids. Children, do you hear me? Do not be unequally yoked. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Why begin that relationship with that unbeliever? Not because you're better than them. No, you're children of light. You've been translated, as Rick reminded us, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. What fellowship has light with darkness? Oh, intimacy. And yet Solomon took for himself Pharaoh's daughter. You see, little by little, Solomon began to go off course. Phil Riken says, we start falling into sin long before we ever fall into disgrace. You see, that's what happens. It's a slow boil. It's a slow drip. It's erosion. It just happens. You see, Solomon's a case study in the subtle nature of sin. Along with marrying Pharaoh's daughter and loving many women, he began to compromise by worshiping at the high places that God had forbidden. He began to amass horses to himself. He began to hoard riches to himself. All the while he was doing this, his hubris and a spirit of invincibility began to creep in began to erode away the, the first love, the affections for God, the desires for holy things. And it, it happened when he was old. When he was old. You see, friends, small sins left unchecked lead to a massive disaster. We cannot let sin go unchecked and think all will be fine. Thinking weakly to ourselves, I've got this. I can control this sin. No one will know. It'll be my little precious. And you cuddle it. You keep it close to your bosom. No one else knows, not even your spouse. Proverbs 6, 17, can a man hold fire to his chest and not be burned? You think you're going to be the exception? Solomon clearly thought he was the exception. Saints, by grace, we must put to death the deeds of the flesh daily. As John Owen says, you must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. The Puritans, small sins are like baby snakes. They're small but deadly. If you let them live, they will grow into huge serpents. 
In Christ, we're called to be serpent crushers. And we are. That's the beauty of Romans 8, right? More than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. You see, Solomon's downfall was predictable because, you know, Solomon, over a period of time, forgot who he was and whose he was. He forgot his identity as a child of the king. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened over time. Well, there's a second characteristic. Solomon's downfall was the result of disobedience. Again, he didn't sin in ignorance. It's not he didn't know these things, right? He knew God's law, said that he could not take a foreign wife, nor was he to take more than one. We're told in verse 3, he has 700. 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, you might argue, well, those concubines were diplomatic relationships, you know, to secure political power and so forth and so on. Okay, whatever. It's still problematic, right? The king was to be different. Israel's king was to be a one-woman man. He had... 999 too many. Deuteronomy 17, 17, the king shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire excessive silver or gold, nor many horses. Solomon's doing it all. You see, Israel's king was to be a different kind of king. Solomon knew this, and yet he disobeyed. Again, perhaps believing that he was the exception. The man who would go on to write Proverbs about the dangers of the forbidden woman had more than one could possibly name. He didn't know a thousand, you think? But as Proverbs 27, 20 says, death and destruction are never full. Now listen, death and destruction are never full, so are the eyes of a man. Think about that. Marinate in that. Chew on that cud. Never satisfied. Insatiable. Can't be quenched. Beloved, there's a vast difference between just knowing the word and doing it. Putting it into practice, James 2.17. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Did you hear that? Reform, beloved. Faith without works is dead. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 11, of justification, speaks about justifying faith is a working faith. The faith that saves is never alone in the person justified, but is always accompanied by all other saving graces. And as Paul would say in Galatians, faith works through love. Saving faith takes hold of Christ, even as Christ takes hold of that believer and begins to produce in that believer the fruits in keeping with the gospel, in keeping with repentance. You see, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, Solomon's downfall was predictable. It was the result of disobedience. And thirdly, Solomon's downfall was, and this is most important. If I had to have one point that's the most important point, It's this one. Solomon's downfall, Solomon's downfall is a heart problem. 
It's a heart problem. In our culture, the heart merely denotes feelings, emotions. But the Bible has a bigger, more robust definition of the heart. Ralph Davis defines it this way. The heart is the willing, loving, and thinking center of the person. The Bible does not separate head and heart. Rather, the head is in the heart. It is the control center, if you will, of the person. It's the control center of our lives. Six times, no less than six times. And Pastor Pritchard has taught this this many times. I've heard him say it. When the word of God repeatedly uses a word or a phrase over and over again, you better take heed. Truly, truly, I say to you, 1 Kings 11 uses the word heart six times. Six times. Six times we're told that his heart was led astray after other gods. You see, the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. Always. Everyone who's ever come into my office, everyone who's come before the session, ultimately, ultimately, when you get down to the, to the very base of things, when you pull back and you peel the onion, it's always the heart. It's always the affections of the heart, the control center. That's the problem. God had warned his people, do not give your heart to foreign wives lest they turn your heart after them. Verse two, we're told in verse three, his wives turned away his what? His heart. Verse four, they turned away his heart after other gods. Verse four, again, Solomon's heart was not wholly true to Yahweh his God as was the heart of David his father. Verse 9, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his, what? His heart turned away from the Lord. Now, those of us who know 1 Kings know in chapter 3, verse 3, we're told right out of the gate, Solomon loved Yahweh. He loved Yahweh. I choose him. Here we're told in chapter 11, tragically, what are we told? Verse 11, Solomon what? Look at the text. Let the text preach to you, beloved. Solomon loved what? Many foreign women. He was loving Yahweh, his covenant faithful God, with hesed love, hesed covenant faithfulness, and now he's loving and giving his affections to many foreign women. We're told in verse 2 that Solomon cleaved. You know what that word comes from? Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. Adam, Eve, I want you to leave your parents and I want you to cleave. I want you to glue yourself to that other. To compliment you. That I might show forth my glory into the praise of my holy name. That's the same word here. Solomon's heart is cleaving, not to Yahweh, but to many foreign women. He loved them. You see, beloved, all sin at the end of the day is an inside job. 
It is the heart that is the problem. We live out of the overflow of the heart. Every sin problem is a worship problem because it's a heart problem. You see, our hearts are made to worship and know God and God alone. Solomon gave his heart to other lovers. You see, friends, our problems don't reside out there, out there. Our problems reside right behind the sternum and the heart, the control center, the affections, the will. It must be changed, you see. The king who began so well with those wonderful prayers, the writing of Proverbs, the writing of many psalms, through small compromises, his heart began to grow cold and numb to the things of God. He's like the church there at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. You know, Ephesus was a very doctrinally strong church. Did you hear that, that they hated the Nicolaitans? I hate them too. They were hating things that God hated. But he had this one thing against them. They had abandoned their first love. They had given their hearts to other lovers. And they began to grow cold. And the scary thing is it didn't happen overnight. Little by little, his heart affections changed. You know, it's said that one degree of trajectory makes a big difference in destination. Right, you leave Manhattan, right? You live there up in New York and you take a ship and you go into Europe. You're just off one degrees. You know where you're gonna end up? You're gonna end up on the, uh, on the west coast of Africa. Just by one degree. Just one degree. But over the, over the expansive journey, over the destination, over the, the miles, you're gonna end up in a place that you never thought you'd end up. And some of you today are, are doing this very thing. You're on a wrong cross. You're you're off one degree. It's important to note this, and and I'll, I'll develop it a little later, but Solomon did not renounce the Lord. Don't don't mistake that. It it wasn't a a renunciation, it was an addition. Don't miss that. Did you hear me? Yeah, it was an addition. Fidelity to God was compromised by addition, Red. Did you hear that? Oh, I need to hear it. Pastor, did you hear it? He didn't completely stop loving the Lord, but rather, according to verse 4, look at verse 4. His heart was not wholly true, holistically. To Yahweh his God, nor did he wholly follow the Lord. In his mind, he probably thought he still honored the Lord. He simply added the honor of these other gods, right? He added them to the worship of Yahweh. It was syncretism, right? It was, he, he was synchronistic. He brought them in, right, into the plethora of gods, right? It was just Yahweh plus all these other gods, you see, beware of the rationalization of your own heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things. The wages of sin is death, and God is a jealous lover. He'll have no other gods beside him. You see, all of us were created to worship, and we all worship something or someone. Who are you worshiping this morning? Whom will you worship? If not Christ, 
you have to look forward to sorrow, right? Proverbs, or rather Psalm 16, 4, the sorrows of those who take other gods for themselves will multiply. <laughs> if you worship something other than Yahweh, the triune God, as he's revealed in Jesus Christ, your portion is sorrow at the end of the day. You see, the choice before us this morning is multiplying sorrows of the living God in whom this very psalm says, in whom's presence there's fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So this is the downfall. It's predictable. It was a result of disobedience. He knew better. It was a heart problem. He'd forgotten his first love. Fourthly, the fourth characteristic, Solomon's downfall was persistent. I particularly want those of us who are older, and I've I've spoken to this just briefly. Notice verse 4. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Now, that's one of the more scary verses in the Bible for those of us who have more years behind them than they have in front of them. When he was old, his heart was turned. Step by step, this life full of promise ended in failure because his passions and his lust got the best of him. You see, Solomon fell when he was old. You see, age in this case did not make Solomon wiser. Age is not just this mechanism that works in a vacuum apart from the grace of God. Just because you're old doesn't mean you're wise. Just because you're gray hair doesn't mean you're wise. Now, there's a proverb that says it. More often than not, proverbially speaking, those with gray hair hopefully have learned something along the way and are a little wiser. They're not as impulsive. But it's not a, a quid pro quo. It's not a vending machine. God is not a, a vending machine. You press B2 and you get wisdom because that's what you wanted. No, that's not how this works. He's the living God. He's not our genie. We rub and just hope you get some wisdom. What I've noticed is that the older you get, there's a tendency to feel more entitled. It is. I hate to say it. You've earned it. You can sit back. You can put it in neutral. You can coast. I'm retired. Sit back and relax. Friends, somewhere along the line, Solomon lost his way. He forgot who he was and whose he was. He tired of fighting. He tired of fighting the good fight of faith. For all his gifts and abilities, none of them were able to keep him from falling. Because as the heart goes, so goes the man. And if Solomon's gifts, wealth, and wisdom did not prevent him and keep him from falling, do you really believe your gifts, your wisdom, is going to keep you? from falling is there not a warning here for us this morning for those of us who are older we don't have to be less vigilant but more now think with me just for a moment when you're young you have a tendency to be somewhat idealistic and that's a blessing because it's good because you're full of dreams and optimism, right? For the most part. Now, our, we live in a pretty jaded, cynical culture today. Our youth are pretty nihilistic, not filled with a lot of hope. 
I don't see a lot of prosperity in the future, however you want to calibrate that, whatever calculus you want to measure that by. But one of the things I've noticed is that as we get older, some of the problems in life, some of the biggest problems we're going to face are going to be before us. Name just two. How about if your spouse dies? How about your own death? How about the chances, the percentages of you getting something serious regarding medically, regarding your life? How are you going to get through that? In a sense, you really need to be more vigilant, right? More all in, more intentional, as Bill and I like to talk, right? More directional, right? More focused in on what I hope to achieve and hope I see God achieve in my life. Well, there's a fifth characteristic, and that's Solomon's downfall produced devastating results. The king whose heart was given to foreign women ended up, verse 5, going after Asrath, the goddess of Sidonians, and after Milcon, Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, verse 6, Solomon did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord Yahweh, verse 7, Solomon built a high place for Chemish, the abomination of Moab. How did this happen? It was just his heart that was given to other lovers. Now the heart is manifesting its true self in his actions, in his practice. You see, that's what always what happens. If you watch a man or woman's life, boy or girl's life long enough, you can tell what they love. It will be empirically manifested before your very eyes, what they treasure, what they value, how they spend their money, how they spend their time, what they devote themselves to. <laughs> Solomon built, verse 7, a high place for Chemish, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech. Now, Molech, remember now, this is the Canaanite god of the Ammonites who required the offering of their children on the altar. What I understand, Molech would stand this concrete figure, a wooden figure, it was, you know, whatever, it was clothed and made of some material, but its hands without, and they would take the children and put them in the hand right above the altar where they would light the altar and the, and the fire would consume the children. Solomon! subsidize this Solomon commissioned this don't intermarry with foreign wives or husbands lest they turn your heart and what happened surely his heart was turned let God be true and every man a liar God's word will come to pass <laughs> his word is true The very veracity of that word is the very thing you love and its faithfulness and fidelity. He's going to keep his promise, but also he keeps his warnings. Right? Take heed lest we fall, right? Solomon, because of his desires left unchecked, found himself building and burning sacrifices to pagan gods. Beloved, sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you ever want to pay. Well, now that I've depressed you, is there a king? Is there a faithful king? Is there one of the lineage of David, of the lineage of Solomon, that didn't give his heart to other lovers? 
who delighted in the law of the Lord day and night. He didn't sit in the seat of the scoffer nor stand in the way of the wicked, but his delight was in the law of the Lord. Before I get to that one, let's answer this question. How did Solomon end? You think, well, he ended badly, yes, that's true. Is he in heaven? I, I, I have good reason to believe that he is. And let me share with a few things because I don't want you to. Reason to believe and be hopeful regarding Solomon's salvation. I think, one, I think Ecclesiastes was written in reflection on all that transpired under the sun in his life. The side of heaven. You remember that verse in the end of chapter 12? The end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. He learned. <laughs> that's, that's a packed verse, right? Here's a man who's lived it. He's lived on the other side of that commandment, not fearing God and keeping his commandments. But he said the end of the matter is keeping his commandments and fearing him. And based upon Jesus' evaluation of Solomon and redemptive history, if you read in the Gospels, the Lord Jesus Christ's own words and commendation regarding Solomon, you get the sense that Solomon made it by grace, through faith in Christ alone, the Christ that he was looking forward to in hope, even weekly. But most importantly, let me assure you with this, God's promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 14 to 15, I will be to him a father, this is God's word to David, and he shall be to me a son, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. At the end of the day, it's not our faithfulness that saves us. It's God who saves us. God and God alone, as Steve Green would sing, right? And then in chapter 11 here before us, verse 8, right, we're told that the Lord is angry with Solomon. But notice what it says there in verse 8. For the sake of my servant David, right? Not David who was buried there in Jerusalem, but David, the greater David that was to come. The Lord would not tear away all the kingdom. You see, Christ, David's greater son, kept the covenant he was faithful to the very end. We can live and finish out our days well because Jesus Christ, David's greatest son, finished well. Christ did not give his heart to other lovers. He kept the law perfectly for all those the Father had given him and dying for their sin was raised on the third day for our justification. So keep your eyes fixed on the author and finisher of your faith. That's the bottom line today. Look to Jesus Christ. Solomon became enamored with other lovers. All the trinkets, all the fool's gold that's always being played out before us. He took his eye off the prize and his foot slipped. And maybe your foot is slipping today. You need to bind up those weak knees and keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Look unto him, your captain, the captain of your salvation. You see, beloved, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And Solomon's downfall reminds us that choosing to follow Christ and his wisdom is not just a one-time event. 
Following Jesus is played out each and every day of our lives. Proverbs 3, 21 to 23. My son, do not lose sight of this. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. Let him who has ears, let him hear. And her, and little ones. Oh, Jesus, help us. Let's look to him in prayer. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, our righteousness. Oh, Lord, we have sung this day. We are prone to leave the God we profess to love. Come, thou fount of every blessing, and bind our heart to thee, O Christ. In our sanctification, not only definitively, positionally, in union with Jesus Christ, but progressively, enable us to become more and more of what and who we are in Jesus Christ, beloved sons, beloved daughters of the Most High. Oh, Father, that our lives would be lived worthily of the gospel, worthy of the calling that we've received in Jesus Christ. You who have begun this good work in us, we thank you that you are faithful to complete it. We look unto you, the author and the finisher, even Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.